world according to me, the show where perception is reality, facts matter, and the truth will set you free. On today's episode, I want to share a conversation I had with my adult children, uh, and they're ranging in ages from 18 to 28. Uh, we were talking about the election, and they were asking me how, uh, what's really going on, and uh, there's so many things happening that it, it's very muddled right now, and so a lot of people are having a hard time understanding it. When I got done with the conversation, my daughter said to me, said, you know, you really ought to make your show about that because I don't think a lot of people really understand what's happening right now. Um, and explaining it in this fashion uh, it really kind of cleaned it up for them a little bit. And it was fun. Um, so we broke it down into uh, what, what turned out to be a board game. Uh, because it, it involves a lot of players and a lot of pieces and a lot of moving parts and strategy. So I wanted to explain to them really kind of how it worked and educate them at the same time. So today we're going to break down the election into the 2020 election game. And the object is obviously to win at all costs. Um, in order for us to really understand how the game works, we have to understand the objective of the game. We have to understand the stakes, uh, what you can win or lose, and then the rules of the game. Um, that's the only way that anybody can play it. And I'm going to say make it fair, although it may or may not be. So the object of the game, at least from the Democrats perspective, is to remove Donald Trump from the White House, uh, put a Democrat into the White House and then control both houses of Congress. That would be the objective if it were the Republicans too. it just happens to be the Democrats this time around. The stakes of the game, these are very, very high stakes, in my opinion, um, probably one of the most pivotal elections in our lifetime, maybe the most important one in our lifetime. The stakes um, are to control the American economy. Uh, we're wrestling for the historic soul of this country, um, and they want to complete the transformation to socialism. So there's a lot at stake here. The rules of the game, well, as it stands right now, there really are no rules to this game. Uh, the gloves have come off. Um, everything is, is on the table, um, calling people racist, uh, lives have been lost, um, cities have fallen. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things going on that normally don't happen in elections. So there really are no rules in this election because it's so pivotal. Now, why is it so pivotal? Well, after the 2020 election, there will be two Supreme Court justice seats available, which can transform and, and, and really form the, the legal uh, ramifications of this country for the next 30, 40, maybe even 50 years. So a, a lot's at stake here. Um, it it will, could really change the face of this country very, very dramatically um, if, uh, if the right people don't win. Next, we have to understand who the players are. Um, the players uh, playing in this particular game are batting for the Republicans, old number 45 himself, Donald J. Trump, and playing on behalf of the Democrats, Sleepy Joe Biden. The interesting thing about this game is there's also a mystery player involved, and we're going to talk about who that mystery player is in a few minutes. It may or may not be who you think it is. Next, we need to talk about what the board looks like. Um, there are spaces on every board, and this board is no different. So on this particular board, from June to April, June of last year to April of this year, is when the primary and the caucus debates happened. So if you remember, that's when you had uh, Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris and uh, all of these people, Cory Booker and everybody else who was running for president or attempting to, um, on the stage in the debates and all of those types of things. It was really pretty much a train wreck from our perspective, but they had them nonetheless. From February to June is when the primaries and the caucuses happen. That's the Iowa caucuses and the primaries, and that's when the candidates travel around and they campaign and, and stump speech and all of those things so that they get their name and recognition out there. From late May to August of 2020 
um, that is the nominating conventions. Um, those things have pretty much kind of already happened because the Democrats kneecapped Bernie Sanders and got him out of there. And, and Elizabeth Warren gave up kind of early. And we're going to talk about why that happened because it didn't happen in previous elections, but everybody kind of went quietly into the night, this particular go round. And, and I think that there's a reason why, and I think I can explain it. In September, uh, from September to October 2020, those are the election debates. Uh, there should be a minimum of three happening uh, between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, which should be must-see TV. On Tuesday, November 3rd, um, it's interesting because most people, when we talk to them, they think that this is the, uh, the final uh, spot on the board, if you will. Um, we get to the election. Election's over, so by the 4th, everything ends. That's just not true. Uh, that November 3rd space on that board is actually somewhere in the middle of that board as opposed to the end. Monday, December the 4th um, is when the electorates cast their electoral votes. So for those of you who don't know, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of the electorate process in the, uh, in the United States. On the November 3rd election, that's when the population, you and I, uh, we vote. Our votes are then tabulated. Uh, those votes are then given to the electoral college or the electorates. Every state has their own electorates. Um, and that is a sign, a signal for them to, on how we choose to vote. Um, and their um, job is to go and then place those votes for president. Now, the idea being that they're gonna vote as we voted in the, uh, in the, in the general election, uh, that they're gonna represent our state, but it doesn't necessarily mean they have to. Uh, the way the Constitution written. But in this particular case, we, we kind of hope that they do. Um, so that happens on November the 14th. On January the 6th, um, this is when there will be a joint session of Congress, and Congress gets together and they validate and confirm the votes from the Electoral College, and then they, uh, they basically sign an agreement and say, we agree that this was a fair process, and this is the, either the new president-elect or the re-election of the current president. Then on Wednesday, January the 20th is Inauguration Day. That's really the end piece. And we're going to explain how significant that is as we go through it. So on our board, um, if you've ever played Monopoly or any other board game, there's, there's always obstacles and things that can uh, upset the flow of the game, if you will. And we've had quite a few of them. Uh, Russian collusion investigation, if you remember, we, we went through that for two straight years. Uh, Democratic Jesus came in and uh, Bob Mueller um, and spent two years and $25 million and basically didn't find anything. Um, and then because it made sense that he didn't find anything, he should probably try to impeach Donald Trump. So they tried that. Um, that didn't work out for him either. Then coronavirus magically popped up. And then, oh, lo and behold, we had riots all over the country. And uh, then Seattle was occupied and other cities were attempting to be occupied. Uh, unemployment went through the roof because of coronavirus. Then we had a failing economy. And now because all of those things really haven't done what they wanted and they got to keep us distracted, uh, coronavirus 2.0 shows up. And so we're back in the mask and, and uh, talking about how uh, things are going to play out over the next six months. So those are your chance cards. Um, they typically can either be good things or bad things, depending upon who draws the card and where you are on the board. Next, um, in this board game, there are wild cards, uh, and there are several wild cards, and I'm going to talk about one in particular, and I think it's the most uh, prudent wild card that we need to discuss. So in this particular case, the wild card is January the 3rd. Now, I know we didn't see that on the, on the board spaces or in the electoral schedule there. Uh, but January 3rd is a, is a very, very pivotal day in this country uh, around election time. And it's important that we know what that means. So January the 3rd um, is when the votes for the congressional election are finalized. Um, it's important that you understand this congressional election. Everybody gets voted uh, on November the 3rd. 
and then the congressional elections are settled and finalized by January 3rd. Um, this is important um, because um, there are every single uh, seat for the House of Representatives is up for uh, re-election or, or new election um, in this particular cycle. And there are 55 seats, I believe it is. Um, no, 35 seats, excuse me, 35 seats that will be up in the Senate as well. So this is extremely pivotal. So January 3rd is when they get those together and they say, we feel good about that. These are our senators and our House of Representatives uh, representing the 116th Congress, I think it is. So that is done prior to confirming the president and the vice president um, of the United States. And there's a reason for that because you need, uh, you, you need a, a solid government uh, in case something happens. So they're done separately. You don't put them all in the same room at the same time. Now, this is very important because then it impacts this date, January the 6th. And we talked a little bit about that on the previous slide. January 6th is when the joint session of Congress comes together. And uh, at 1 p.m. to be exact, and the electoral votes are counted and validated by a joint session of Congress. So what is a joint session of Congress? Well, that's when both houses come together. Um, it happens typically, I don't know, three to four times a year. It's done, for, um, it's done for inaugurations, it's done for State of the Union addresses, um, and any other emergencies that may come up. So it's very, very important because those electoral votes are then counted by what is the new Congress, because there will be new uh, uh, House of Representatives, there will be new senators that are involved in this process. Very, very important. So that January 6th wildcard, why is it important? Um, because a lot of things can go wrong in this particular time. If, um, if, there are, uh, if they can't come to an agreement during that joint session of Congress, that triggers this. And it's a contingent uh, election. And what that means is that in the United States, a contingent election is the procedure used in the presidential election in case there is no candidate wins an absolute majority of votes in the Electoral College. Um, so this is very important because if they don't agree on this by the end of time uh, on January 6th, um, then it triggers this. Um, and if you continue reading there, and I'm gonna read it for you because the words are very, very important in here. Um, a contingent election for the president is decided by a vote of the United States House of Representatives. And this contingent election for vice president is decided for by the U.S. Senate. Now, this is extremely important um, because uh, there's a very, very high probability that the Democrats will maintain control of the House of Representatives. And there's a very good chance that they may actually take control of the Senate as well. Um, so in the event um, that they maintain the control of the House of Representatives, which they probably will, we could end up with this person deciding who the uh, President of the United States is going to be. There's a lot, a lot of problems with that. Not only could she decide who the President's going to be, but if you remember what the last space on the board is, the last space on the board is January the 20th. And that's the last space because it's Inauguration Day. By noon on January the 20th, uh, the current president and the current vice president are either A, re-elected through the Electoral College, or B, they become uh, regular citizens, just like you and I. So if there is no president-elect uh, by January the 20th at noon, the United States Constitution provides a succession plan. And the succession plan would mean that Nancy Pelosi would become the president of the United States. Wrap your mind around that for a second. So if they don't solidify who the president's going to be, the Speaker of the House 
becomes the president of the United States. That's important uh, and dangerous, uh, but it's important because those votes that are finalized for the uh, congressional elections on the 6th um, pretty much hand the House back to the Democrats. Um, and they will select their leadership by the 6th. And so Nancy will be the Speaker of the House. And if they, uh, it, let's say we've got a Democratic-controlled Congress, uh, both Senate and House representatives, well, what are the odds that they're going to agree that Donald Trump won the election? Slim and freaking none, I would say. So now we wind up potentially with Nancy Pelosi as our president, at least in the interim. Uh, the scary thing about this is that Nancy will also get to choose a vice president. Um, and in this particular um, equation where there's a, su a succession plan involved, the vice president is the highest, uh, or, I'm sorry, excuse me, the longest serving U.S. senator in the Senate uh, for the majority. So if the Democrats are in the majority right now, I believe it's Pat Leahy. Um, but unfortunately, she doesn't have to pick um, uh, that particular person. She can pick whoever she wants as long as they are a sitting U.S. senator, which means you could end up with Pocahontas or Crazy Bernie if she chose. Starting to see the game come together here? Very, very dangerous. So what's the GOP strategy to try to solve this problem? Well, we have to find a COVID vaccine by October because uh, if we don't, that's going to trigger mail-in voting and, and all of these things that could cause problems in the election. Um, and what I think will actually trigger voter fraud. Now, Democrats will push back on you and say, you know, there's really no evidence that that happens. Well, yes, there is. They just don't talk about it. Happens all the time. It's happening in New Jersey right now. They tried the mail-in voting. It was a complete train wreck. Uh, the Democrats tried it back in, um, uh, when they were doing their, their debates um, in the Iowa caucuses, and it was a complete disaster. So the question is, why would they try that back then? Well, because they were preparing for this. The next thing that uh, the GOP needs to do is they, they need to focus on John Durham's report. Now, those of you who don't know John Durham, John Durham is a, um, he's an inspector general, basically he's an attorney um, that was brought on by Bill Barr. Um, and Bill Barr is using him to investigate the Russian hoax. Um, and it went from an investigation to now there are criminal charges pending and that's by John Durham himself. The belief is that uh, there will be several several high-ranking Democratic officials um, that will be named uh, and possibly prosecuted inside this report. Um, and that could cause the, the entire Democratic Party to come crumbling down because a lot of these people may actually be in jail instead of running for office. And then we got to chip away at DACA and the, and the Black or the African-American vote. Um, Trump is doing that right now. He uh, is about to sign an executive order, or maybe he already has, um, that will create a path to citizenship, a merit-based path to citizenship for the, for the Dockers, or the Docker kids, or the Dreamers. Um, so is it going to get them all? No, but it, it might pull 20 to 30% of them. And then a group that large, that could be enough to, to swing the, the election in the other direction. So those are, are three of, of very important things. And then the, uh, the next thing that they got to work on is the swing states. Um, and swing states are very, very important. And uh, we're going to talk about that in depth here for a second, because uh, swing states are where uh, elections previously had been very close. Um, and so that means that they could swing elections in either direction. Um, and there's typically a group of them. And there's, uh, there's no shortage of them in this particular election. The first one that comes to mind is the state of Florida. Um, in the 2016 election, uh, Trump won the state of Florida, but only by 1.2% of the vote. 
Um, so it was extremely close. Even though Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate, it was still extremely close. Uh, there's a big population of elderly. There's a big Democratic uh, contingency in the state of Florida. Um, and so it was a very narrow margin. So Florida is very important. The state of Wisconsin, uh, again, another very important one. Trump only won there by 0.7% of the vote. Um, extremely narrow margin. Um, and if you're following along, the Democrats are holding their convention in Milwaukee this year. So they're already moving in and trying to swing that vote. And, and don't get me wrong, it's a good plan. I, I'm not knocking them for it. Uh, but that's a big swing state and the Democrats are moving rapidly to uh, combat that now. Minnesota, uh, sound familiar? Minneapolis, Minnesota um, was in the news recently with the George Floyd uh, murder and the riots uh, subsequently that came behind it. Uh, so Minnesota is a dramatic swing state. Now in the 2016 election, uh, Trump won the state, um, uh, but only by a very narrow margin. Michigan, uh, Michigan, another swing state. Uh, this one is uh, very interesting to, to watch, really, because uh, Governor Whitmer, uh, who you may or may not be familiar with, has had the state on shutdown for a long, long time. And actually, the citizens are starting to rebel against her and uh, police officers and sheriff's departments are refusing to enforce the uh, stay at home laws and, and all of those types of things. So that's an interesting state. Now, in 2016, Trump won that state by only 0.23 percent. Uh, a very, very, very narrow margin. So 0.23% is not, not hard to move. And if Whitner can, uh, can keep people in lockdown uh, and the Democrats can continue to gain favor there because of that, they could swing that state fairly easily. Next is the state of North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina is a, is a swing state. Trump won it handily um, in 2016 with 3.7% uh, over uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, but it's still a swing state. Um, the uh, GOP had originally planned to have their convention there, and uh, the Democratic governor there has uh, declined it, um, told them that they would have to, you know, social distance and mask and all those things, and, and the GOP just is not interested in doing that for obvious reasons. So they're already playing their cards there as well. And then the final swing state that we want to talk about is the state of Pennsylvania. Um, this is important because uh, it, uh, if you wonder why Bernie and uh, uh, Liz Warren and some of those people that are, are big, high-profile names in the Democratic Party, why they went so quietly into the night for Joe Biden? I mean, Joe Biden can barely complete a sentence, and I, and I don't say that to be uh, mean or make fun of the guy. Um, I truly believe he's got a little spell of dementia in there. So the two big players for the Democrats basically just bowed out, and you never heard anything out of him. We haven't heard a peep out of Bernie Sanders since he walked out of the election. Um, the reason for that is because we, the Democrats need that swing state. Trump won that state uh, in 2016 by the narrowest margin in U.S. election history at 0.12%, extremely slim, uh, narrow uh, margin of victory, excuse me. Uh, if you uh, are familiar with Joe Biden, you will know that he is originally from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, so this is their opportunity to win Pennsylvania, and they probably will. Um, but that's why Joe Biden is there. It's not because he's brilliant. It's not because he's a great politician, although he may have been in his previous life. He's not anymore. But that's why he's in this race. And we're going to talk about why they dipped out so quick um, here in a couple minutes. So uh, what's the Democratic strategy? Well, um, it seems pretty easy, um, but it's actually a little bit more complex. And, and they, they've got all their all their chips in the middle of the table, so they need the cards to fall correctly in order for it to work. 
First, they need to use COVID to slow down the election process, which they're doing pretty effectively. Uh, the original COVID has kind of died off a slow death. States are reopening, and so they reinvented it. Next, they need to keep BLM and Activa active. Um, they're doing this. Um, if you've watched news over the past four or five days, uh, super dumbass Bill de Blasio and his group, including uh, Al Sharpton and those guys, uh, painted a giant BLM uh, mural, if you will, down the middle of Fifth Avenue in front of Trump Tower. Um, so they're keeping BLM and Activa front of mind aware, um, which is keeping things uh, tied down in cities to some respect, but it's also keeping uh, GOP and, and Republicans uh, kind of out of the mix because the conversation uh, or the, the, the oxygen in the room is being sucked out by what's happening with BLM and Antifa. So it's extremely important that they keep that in the forefront. And then next, they got to keep Sleepy Joe in hiding. Uh, they've done a good job of this so far, but good Lord, every time the man steps out and opens his mouth, he shoves his arm all the way down his throat. Uh, like I said, I'm not making fun of him, but it's kind of funny to watch. Um, so they have got to keep him on lockdown. Um, I'd be surprised if he gets out and does three uh, debates. Um, I would imagine what they're going to lobby for is a setting not unlike this one where they have a, a Zoom room set up and they have Joe Biden in, in a separate room somewhere else and Donald Trump in a separate room somewhere else and a monitor in a separate room somewhere else. This is the only way that they can really manipulate the election or, or the, uh, the debate process. If you remember in 2016, uh, it was actually discovered that uh, Donna Brazil from CNN was feeding the uh, debate questions to Hillary Clinton. It's not made up, it actually happened. So if you think they're not capable of doing that again, you're fooling yourself. So watch very carefully because that's what you're gonna see next as a lobby for, it's unsafe for us to get together and have these debates and therefore we need to do it through a process like this, through a Zoom town hall or something where they're actually able to be in Joe Biden's ear and help him with the answers. Number four, they need to force the mail-in voting. Um, this is a big thing. And I, and I know some of you are probably saying, well, Jason, we have mail-in voting now. We do early voting. Uh, you can vote in by absentee. There's a lot of ways to do this. And that's true. Um, what this is forcing is uh, for mail-in uh, mail votes to go out to every citizen, uh, whether they go to the voting polls or not, they can choose to mail in or they can visit the voting polls. Now, this is dangerous uh, because we've already seen uh, through attempts to do this uh, that it's fraught with uh, mistakes and uh, IT issues, if you will, glitches in the program. Um, they're seeing double votes. People went to the poll and they sent it in and they, you know, all of those things happen. Um, and, and so it, it's going to be very dangerous, but it's also uh, very important for the Democrats to push this. Um, and if you think it's a conspiracy theory that this is happening, I would introduce you to this. Um, these are uh, what has happened in California. Um, Governor Gavin Newsom issued an executive order instructing uh, the officials in that state to send mail-in ballots to everybody in the state, every registered voter in the state for the November 3rd election. So everybody's already been mailed out. They already have their forms in their hands, but they're also going to have polls open. You start to see how that looks. So uh, then he even went a step further and signed it into law, right? So now they have to send them out. So if you are a uh, Republican um, mayor or senator, you can't tell your people not to do that. It's now part of California law. Now, that's important because I think that California is going to become the, uh, the nucleus for how this election is going to be won or lost. Um, and why is that important? Well, uh, Nancy Pelosi um, is up for re-election and she is from San Francisco. Kamala Harris is from California. Um, 
the Democrats have got the entire state on mail-in voting now. And it's, uh, it, it's going to be dangerous, like we just talked about. But here's the real we- reason why. California holds 55 electoral votes, biggest one. Uh, they are 20% of the entire electoral target. So you have to have 270 electoral votes to win. California holds 55, which is 20% of that needed to win. So they don't necessarily need to win California. What they need to do is slow it down. And if they can slow it down until 12.01 p.m. on January 20th, then Donald Trump and Mike Pence become American citizens, normal American citizens instead of president and vice president. Uh, since, there will no, since there won't be a president that has been uh, duly elected at that point, the presidency will then go to Nancy Pelosi and she'll be able to choose who her vice president's going to be. Um, and then it's all a downhill spiral from there. So in closing, what do we need to know? Well, we need to know that we need to stand together. Um, if we allow them to split us apart, which is what they're trying to do, we will fall. Um, we've got to pay attention. And that's what this whole show is about is cutting through the bullshit, like a hot knife through butter and helping you learn, uh, what's really happening out there and not just believe what you see on TV, but really understand what's happening. Do you really understand how the electoral college works? Do you really understand why voting by mail and by poll could be a huge problem? Um, if you think back to the Bush-Gore election of 2004, the entire election came down to one county in Florida, in Broward County, and they recounted and they recounted and they recounted. And at that time, the final time for the votes to come in for the Electoral College was on December the 12th uh, because of the way that the algorithm works out. Um, but they uh, it actually went to the Supreme Court of Florida. Then they flipped it to the Supreme Court of the United States, who flipped it back to the state. Um, and it was eventually decided that uh, the electoral votes would go to George Bush, but it was done two hours before the deadline. That's how important this is. So when I say delay, they don't have to delay for really too long. They just got to make it interesting long enough so that all of these, all of these dates uh, pass. So really November the 3rd uh, and November the 14th and all of those dates, they're really arbitrary in the whole thing. It's that target date of January 20th at 12 noon that is extremely important. And you've got to remember that date because if you forget it, you're doomed to see what happens next. So with that, I thank you for your time. I look forward to seeing how this election turns out. Uh, Good luck, America. Vote quick and vote often. Love you.